be with you today, and, and um, let's take our Bibles this afternoon, and uh, once again turn to Romans chapter 8. Um, how many of you have actually been listening to the podcast? A few of you catching up on it? Very good. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to uh, continue on in our quest. Uh, I think we'll get through this chapter at some point, um, but we're taking our time going through it. Just look, looking at the Holy Spirit really is how we got here to chapter 8. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, and we've really looked at the... Uh, the ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit that literally has so much that He does for us as believers in Christ. Um, today, again, I'd like to read uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll begin reading in verse 26 and through verse 31. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, once again, we're thankful for all that you've done for us, and through us, and to us. Father, we'll thank you for the opportunity we have right now to look to the, to the word of God for us to be together Father, in your name, worshiping, praising, and uplifting you. Father, we thank you that whatever happens to us is for our good and for your glory. Uh, Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We especially thank you for your love, which was exhibited through Jesus Christ, God the Son, who suffered death on a cross, taking our sin himself personally, and you making the great switch of crediting to our account his righteousness. Father, for these moments now before, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would solely and exclusively be our teacher as we go to the Word. And we would ask that you'd encourage us, build us up, allow us relationally to never have been closer than we are in these moments that we're going to be with you. Well, thank you for what you're going to accomplish. And again, we thank you for the Word. Look forward to these moments with you. In Christ's name, amen. As uh, I've said already, the, <clears throat> which has been uh, an extended uh, study in the, in the book of Romans chapter 8, is the sense of the Holy Spirit and looking at all of the things that He has done for us. And as we're coming to the end of, of this uh, chapter 8, it's important for us to see our security, or a word that I used last week was the sense of invincibility. If you're a Christian, that is, you've trusted Christ, we'll be even looking at that in a little bit more detail in a different way, maybe than most times we would look at it. But the sense that if you're in Christ, you are literally invincible. And that's a word that we use uh, maybe in different ways, but not so much. Uh, how many of you have used the word invincible this last week? Exactly as I thought, no one. But really, literally, if you're in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you, just thinking of it in that manner, if the Holy Spirit lives within you and if you are a a true Christian, that is, trusted Christ as Savior, He does live within you. He dwells within us. 
And then you literally are just that, invincible. Uh, to set this uh, message up again today, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, the best place for us to launch is from verse 31. It says, what shall we say to these things? This, this last section. If God be for us, who can be against us? And we talked a little bit more explicitly last week in the sense of even there are no verbs there. The is is not in, it's an italicized in your version more than likely, which means that literally God for us, who against us? And the word if could be said since. It, it really lays out obviously no one is in that position. No one. Romans 8.28 is where we'd like to focus again today. Last week we looked at the positive portion of knowing that as it says, we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. We spent a lot of our time last week looking at the good things. Obviously, good things happening to us for our good is easy for us to see. When things are good and we see God in charge, uh, shall we say, we see him in charge. It's all wonderful. But we also talked about the fact of suffering. To be literally kind of alone, if you will. All of those things as well. The bad things work for our good which that's not so much. We don't see that often today, and yet they do. All things God is able to synchronize or to cause to go for good. Thinking of Job for a moment, <clears throat> Job, you think of that, the entire book, and Job was the one that wasn't let in on the story, was he? He had no idea of what was happening to him. All of a sudden, on this any other given day, things completely fall apart. By the end of a very short period of time, all of his family, his sons, his daughter, they're, they're, they're gone. They've been killed. All of his animals, most of his servants, everything that he would have necessarily in a day and age as well, living on earth, planet earth, his security very much could have been wrapped up in all of the things that we surround ourselves with, the things we see. That's what's going on even in our world today. Uh, it's amazing to me the power of fear. I, I, can you imagine? I can't think of anything more powerful than we've seen ex exhibited in the last month on this planet. Fear literally has done things that armies could not do. It's crazy, isn't it? But if, in, in, in much the like way, Job would have saw all of these things of which maybe a lot of us would get get security from and God and Satan had had a conversation and Satan of course being the accuser of the brethren as it talks about in Revelation chapter he's still doing it very actively he's accusing you if you're in Christ he's accusing you before the father and saying in my case Larry is such a loser did you see him yesterday and and Jesus Christ is right he's, he's at the right hand of the father the advocate saying oh no no I I paid for Larry's sin because he's trusted me and then Satan's got to wander off because it's true I'm invincible in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are invincible in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Job's relationship, all of those whole chapters that condense, that make up the book of Job, there's one thing that wasn't broken. There was one thing that remained the same. Job's relationship with God. Just as yours relationship with God. It's not up to us. It's him that is the father. Think of that. There's a lot of strength in that, especially in the day we find ourselves living. The secure, all of these things that the people are hanging on and clinging for security, they're gone, they're vanished, they're evaporated. And Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped God. And then his friends showed up. And they were convinced. They were absolutely 100% convinced 
that Job was a great sinner wasn't true. And it took the rest of the book, really, literally, to unfold that. And they literally got uh, Job to the point where he was maybe doubting to a point, And he was starting to ask the why questions. God, why have you done this? God did not answer that question. He just really declared for him, tell me where you were at when all of these things were made. One of the things that I've been studying in the last, uh, and not exclusively, my, my, my life is very busy, but I'm just amazed, amazed at the immune system that God put in place within our body. It is amazing how it responds and reacts to incoming warfare, right? It literally is warfare. And, and to see how intricately God has made that work. And Job was put on the spot. And you know what he did when he got done? He bowed in humility. He said, you alone are God. You alone are God. God brought him to the point of seeing him bigger than he'd ever seen him. Job's relationship with God, though, was unbroken. We know that all things work together for good to whom? That's what we'd like to talk about today is not only the extent of invincibility, it's all things. There's nothing that can happen to you that God is not synchronizing for your good in his glory. But if there is a condition... Let's read it together again. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, there's a lot of ways in the scripture that we see um, Christians described. We would see them as believers, uh, children of God, sons of God, saints, worshipers, and various the like. It's interesting that Paul used this particular description. Those that love God. This promise is good to only those that love God. Now, there's another side we'll look at next week, Lord willing, and that is that the other side of it is those that are called according to his purpose, the last part of that verse. But today, I really want to take a look at those that love God. We are the recipients of that. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6. Uh, the scripture is full of examples of how God views those that love him. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 6. Exodus 20 and verse 6. As the Ten Commandments, ten commandments were given, in verse 6 we're just going to pop in here. It says, and we'll start in verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them, who? That love me and keep my commandments. Turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them, that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Then turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus' words himself. John chapter 14. Let's look at a number of verses there. John chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 15. He's having a, a time of con telling them about the Holy Spirit, if you will, and he's talking about love. And he so succinctly says in John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
Down to, then down to verse 21. He that, John 14, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest or show myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And that's pretty clear, isn't it? You see the fact that those that love God keep his commandments. Turn back to the little book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, a man that was serving in the kingdom as a cupbearer and uh, was, I would just say, overwhelmed with God's uh, mission for him, going back to the homeland. And in verse 5, he prays this of chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Did you find that? Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Very clear. Let's go to the Psalms, the book of Psalms, and let's look at a couple of them there. Psalm chapter 69. Psalm chapter 69, verse 36. We want to see that this theme is very prevalent through the entire Word of God. Psalm chapter 69, verse 36. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it. He's talking about Zion and dwelling there within the land of Judah. And they that love his name shall dwell therein. Psalm 116, just turn over there. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call call upon him as long as I live. Think of that. The love that has been reciprocated because of what God has done. We'll be talking about that in a different light in just a moment. Psalm chapter 145. Psalm 145. You find in the Psalms so much revolving around this aspect of love and keeping God's commandments. Psalm 145. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The psalm of praise that David unfolds for us is so rich and so overwhelming in the sense of a great and awesome God. Turn all the way back to 1 John. 1 John, we find a lot from the Apostle John. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. He lays it out very clearly. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says, just so matter-of-factly, we love him, speaking of God, because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Now, in the sense of love versus believing, just believing, turn back to James for a moment. James chapter 2, James chapter 2 and verse 19. Um, See, there's a lot of people that know the truth, and yet there's no love. James chapter 2, verse 19, and James points one of those out. James, the half-brother of Jesus. 
who wasn't until Jesus had risen from the dead that his brother, his brothers, his family actually saw that this is who Jesus was, the Son of God. Verse 19, chapter 2 of James says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils, the demons also believe and tremble. Do they love God? Of course not. So love is certainly beyond the sense of knowing something. Turn back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That verse right there you need to know. That literally is it. The only way that you have love is because God placed it there. He started, you know what he started with? You know what God started with in your case? It was in my case and everyone's case. If you're a human and you were born on planet Earth or anywhere else in the universe, guess what? You started with sin. And you know what that says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12? It came from Adam. And along with sin came death. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's just make sure we understand our, our condition. It even makes God bigger and stronger and better. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see your condition prior to God's love. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, that is to be made, he made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Now, for a moment, think of it that way. You had nothing to offer. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Have you ever seen, as you went, attended a funeral, that the, uh, the person whose funeral it's for joins in the chorus as you're singing about his departure? No, that would be rather odd. And it's the same for us. You know, we have nothing. We, we're, we're dead in trespasses and sins. God literally started from nothing. And he shed his, broad, shed his love abroad within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, which lives within us. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, or controls us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. Literally, the love of Christ is controlling us. And then, back to Ephesians, the last verse, as Paul is signing off, Chapter, chapter 6, verse 24, really puts it here very clearly. Ephesians 6, verse 24, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Another, an unbreakable love. One that is incorruptible, an unbreakable love. Well, how do you know if someone is a Christian? And there would be some, well, I'm an American, so I must be a Christian. America was founded on Christian principles, and therefore, if I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Does that work? Now you're smiling, you're laughing. You <laughs> but you know, it's amazing. You will hear that, won't you? You will hear that. So how does one discern whether one is a Christian? What is a Christian, first of all? Tell me what a Christian is. Christ-like, Christ okay. Committed their life to Christ? Okay. Would you have called uh, the disciples, those apostles, would, he, would have you called those Christians? 
Okay? And, and what would we say? Why would we call them that? They followed him. I think that's one of the best things we could say about a Christian is a follower of Christ. Now, think about love for a moment. Love pursues the object it loves. That's why you can't keep a boyfriend and a girlfriend apart. There's a pursuing the love will pursue. It's just like the disciples. They, they couldn't stay away from Jesus. For three years, they literally were on his tail. Now, maybe not necessarily for all the right reasons. Some of them, Judas Iscariot particularly, he was along for the ride. He was convinced that Jesus was going to be the guy that would take out the Romans and there would be a big profiting, a big party in the sense of we're going to be on top and I'm going to get what I want and I'm going to be, that's why he wanted to be the treasurer. Good place to be. But literally those other disciples followed after Jesus Christ because they loved him. Remember what John was asked after Jesus' resurrection, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for, actually it isn't too far off. Let's just go there for a moment. Let's go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And Peter, you know what he had done, right? He had betrayed Jesus Christ. Not betrayed, denied. There, that's a better word. Denied. Peter probably felt that he had done the worst of all things. But in John chapter 21, we find the fact that Jesus now has been resurrected. He's returned to the disciples as they were kind of floundering around. And in John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus, after the third time of showing himself to the disciples, he takes Simon Peter aside. Verse 15. So when they had dined or eaten there, Jesus had caught the fish. Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? At this point, it says, Peter was grieved because he said with him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto the Lord, thou knowest all things. You know that I love thee. In other words, you know my heart. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus was going to where the real issue was, did Peter really love him? Turn back to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and let's look at verse 47. Luke 7 and verse 47. This is a, a, a story that, are, are an unfolding of this woman that was described in verse 37. In fact, let's just start in verse 36, verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him, that's Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what the manner of woman this is that touched it, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say unto you. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath, ba hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, watch now, I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Think of that now. Here's the woman that had a whole lot of things to be forgiven for, and guess what? She approached Jesus. And that, that's, that's bold, I have to say that. Isn't that bold? Just walks right into not, not a publican's house, a Pharisee's house, of which Jesus had been invited, and she just comes right in and begins to really, I would have to say, just love on the Savior. Doing all the things that would certainly show her adoration and her love for her Savior. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. <clears throat> Paul saying to those Philippian believers, as he's in prison, he says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He wants their love to continue to grow. And, you, and as you're sitting there today, I'm sure you say, well, do I love God enough? I would have to say I love him, but do I love it? Well, of course not. None of us. That's what, God, that's what Jesus is working on. In fact, just turn back to verse 6, chapter 1 of Philippians. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love that verse. I'm not, a finished, I'm not a finished work yet. He's still working on me. He's still building. He's still carving. He's still making and shaping and conforming me. Remember what he said in verse 30 of chapter 8, what we read earlier today? He's literally, God's purpose is to conform us to Jesus Christ, to the image of Jesus Christ. He's busily doing that. He continues to do that. Look at Psalm 42. Do you do, you do this? Psalm chapter 42. I didn't write down the verse, but we'll just kind of go on. If not, I'll... I will mention it to you because it's a chorus that, I, that we dearly love. Psalm chapter, yeah, it's right there. Psalm 42 and verse 1. In the King James, it says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, or as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. If my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Just as, have you, on a, on a hot summer day, have you really yearned for a cup of cold ice water? I'm even doing it now. I'm just thinking what a wonderful thing that is. That's the same way for someone that loves God. They are yearning, they are thirsting to be with God. Well, let's talk about it even more explicitly. Let's, those that love God, what, 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 do, what do we act like? What do we, what do we do? Well, to love God is to be thrilled with his awesome glory. I was, I was sitting here playing. Remember the first hymn that we sang today? What was it? This is a test. If you, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here until you get this right. Not the chorus, but the hymn. How great thou art. How great thou art. Thank you. We, Lois, we were depending on you. How great thou art. And, I, and you just read through those verses. And I'm telling you what. Literally, emotion and tears come to my eyes when I think of how great God is. The awesome glory that 
our God is, our creator, our magnificent provider, our protector, all of those things that literally encapsulate the very essence of who God is. And if we love God, we are thrilled with his awesome glory. We contempl- as we contemplate his glory, we worship, we adore. Our emotions respond to the wonder of that truth. Joy and love really are our are response to the greatness of God. Even in, in this time where there seems to be a whole lot of uncertainty, there's a whole lot of things going on. You know what? The more I think about God, the more protected I feel. The more I think about God, the more joy I have. The more that I think about God, the less fear that comes because we're going to be talking about this. The connection between love for God and fear, well, that's where we're probably going to end today. But let's go to Psalm chapter 18. This is one of the, my favorite passage of scripture as well. Psalm chapter 18, coming from David. He'd been delivered from his enemies from the hand of Saul. And he said, verse 1, chapter 18, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. He un- unfolding in praise for a God that as he's contemplating him is more awesome and more almost unbelievable in his majesticness. That's one of the things we would certainly see if, if, we're, if we say we love God, we're thrilled when we contemplate and think about his awesomeness. Well, another thing about loving God is the fact that we have a strong desire to know him. A yearning to know his word, to know the truth, to know all that we can about him. And we've already said this, but love will pursue its object. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 63. Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 63. You are yearning for communion. Again, you've woken up in the middle of the night and, and there's heaviness. You're, you're, something is weighing on you. My, my first, I, I want to go to God. I want to share with him. I want him, just as Job, quite honestly. There's an intimate relationship with him. The very same thing is when we love God, there's a desire to go after him. Psalm chapter 63, let's start in verse 1. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as have I seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in, in, in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee as the night. Do, do you see that? That's literally the nighttime. As you think about, one of the best things for me is to meditate on God. When I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know where your mind wants to go? It goes to the things that are really problems, the the things that are troubling you, the things that you can't fix, the things that you really want answers to. You know what? The best thing you do is go to the one that can fix them. Meditate on him. Oh, verse 8. I I, I didn't follow through. My soul followeth hard after thee. He's going after God. He's going after God. Psalm 84, let's go there for a moment. Psalm chapter 84 and verse 2. Psalm 84 and verse 2. My soul longeth, yes, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. You see the fact of a strong desire to get to know him relationally more than we ever have before. A love pursuing its object. Well, not only is loving God to be thinking or to be thrilled with his glory... Not only is loving God involving a strong desire to know him more intimately, 
But loving God is also feeling pain when he is dishonored. Feeling pain when he is dishonored. Have you, and that's happening more and more all the time, right? It's happening all the time that God is literally being dishonored in so many ways. Uh, Psalm 69, I don't know where I left you. I think you were in 84. Turn back to Psalm chapter 69 and verse 9. Psalm 69.9. This is uh, David literally feeling the reproaches against God on himself. Verse 9, chapter 69 of Psalm says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached you, thee, are fallen upon me. Do you feel that hurt that God feels? That's someone that loves him, and you know how that is. If, if you say that I love somebody, when that person hurts, you hurt. That's what love is. Remember what Jesus did in John chapter 2? You'll not, will not go there, but um, Jesus walks into the temple. And there was money changers, and they were profiting off of God's business. As those travelers would come, and they had their, they'd bring their sacrifices with them, as they would enter into the temple, oh, they'd say, no, 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 no. Those aren't quality. Those are not high enough regard for what, we're, what you're up to. But we have some that are good enough. Thank goodness we thought about your situation. And see, we'll take little Barney the lamb, and we'll trade him in, and we've got a really good one here. And then they would sell this lamb. And, of course, you know where Barney went. He went in the same pen that they were going to sell to the next unsuspecting person. And Jesus was watching this. And you know what he did? His hurts for the disdain of what God's place was, his temple was, he made a whip. See, our Jesus was not a wimp. My Jesus is, (laughs) he gets after it. And he drove those money changers out of that temple. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer. It should not be for a den of thieves. He took action when God was dishonored. When God was dishonored. Loving God is also loving what he what he loves. What does God love? What does God love? He loves us. Excuse me? Broken and contrite spirit. He loves, he loves humility, doesn't he? What else does he love? He loves life, doesn't he? He loves people. He, he, all of those things that he's created, he loves those things. Do we love those things? He loves his word. He loves righteousness. He loves goodness and kindness. In fact, look even at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let's go there for a moment. Do we love what God loves? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that, that, that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, that's a long way of saying, you know what? All of those other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we should love them because God loves them. And we've probably got a few that we can think of. I don't know if I, well, I might love them, but I don't like them. Have you ever heard that? (laughs) Some of you are nodding. We are to love those things that God loves. We are to hate what God hates. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, it goes on and tells us about some of those things. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, watch this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
we need to pay particular attention to the things that God hates. The system that literally right now is taking God off the throne. I'm, I'm just, as you think about our nation, America, the United States of America, and God so beautifully has allowed this nation to flourish. We should not have won that war, that revolutionary war. There's not a reason in the world that we should have ever won that except our forefathers prayed to God. They trusted him. They put all of their soul and strength in a God that delivered them. They literally could have prayed Psalm chapter 18, verses 1 through 2. He was their refuge. He was their strength. They wanted to worship God freely. And they were willing to put their lines their lives on the line to be able to accomplish the very thing that was of utmost importance to them, and that was their God. And as we go on through this nation, you can just see those liberties erode. You can see those things that we've taken for granted to disappear, to be displaced. We will have less liberty in worshiping our God as time goes on as we're approaching those end days. I'm not saying when those are, but you can see it, can't you? You can see the reactions to a God in this nation that we couldn't of 20 years ago felt was even possible. But our God is still on the throne. Our God is still in control, 100%. He is worthy of our praise. Now, another thing uh, that we would want to, that would be noticed if, we're, if we love God is the fact we would long for his coming. I've never wanted to go to heaven so, so bad as right now. I'm ready to go. But I want to take everybody with me, right? That's, that's our deal. So the best thing you can do is witness about Jesus. We're living in a time frame right now that literally people are yearning to know about where can I, what can I trust in, where is my security, and it's the best time for a Christian to talk about Jesus. There's not a better time that I can think of than right now in the year 2020 with the coronavirus, which has literally captured this world, and there's fear everywhere. And I can tell with confidence, in Christ, you're invincible. You're invincible. There's nothing that can happen to you. For if anyone is against you and God is for us, there's nothing, 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 nothing that can take away what he's given us. Somebody needs to say hallelujah, right? It's good stuff. Not because I said it, because he said it. Longing for his coming. Yearning for him to come back. To see him as he is. I, uh, I was listening, I think it was Caleb, I was driving a tractor somewhere, and there was questions or things that people wanted to ask of Jesus when they would go to heaven. And there was one I thought was pretty, it was kind of cute. This, this gal says, you know what? The first thing I want to do when I get to heaven is I want to give Jesus a big hug. Isn't that right? I want to look in his eyes. I want to see that Savior that is literally still has those nail prints. Where my sin put him on that cross, he died a painful death, he was buried for three days, and he pops out of the grave because the, the, the penalty was perfectly paid. And I want to just wrap my arms around him, and I want to thank him personally. I want to be right there. I want to wrap my arms around him and say, thank you, Jesus, and just walk heaven with him. That's what I want to do. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> We'll go, we'll go as long as he wants me, right? That's the deal. And then probably going back, I want to recircle because we talked about this early on in our discussion today is literally loving God is obeying him. You can't love God without obeying him. Uh, to say that you love him and not to follow his, his laws, his, the very things, the commandments, as he said, that he's made for us, we must, if, we don't love, if we don't keep those, we're not trusting him. 
We don't think that he knows what he's doing. Turn back to John chapter 14, verse 21. I think we've, uh, we've looked at this, but I'd like to go back to it one more time. John 14 and 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I shall love him, and will be made manifest to him. And then 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, turn back to 1 John. Same, same writer, John the Apostle, the one that's described as the one that Jesus loved. 1 John chapter 2, and he taught us more about love than probably any of the other apostles. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. You know, I think about uh, the fact of where we are in our, in our journey. Now, if I was going to, let's go back through these uh, in the sense of loving God. Are you, uh, are you thrilled when you think about how awesome God is and you contemplate his glory? Do we worship him? Do we adore him enough? Of course we don't do it enough. But we, we're on a direction. It, it, it was how great thou art just spoke to me today. It was not, it was just, and, and to hear you guys and to feel the sense of, you know what I mean? Just like Hebrews chapter 10, the assembling together of ourselves. There's something about that that just raises up within us a glory and a praise to a God that's allowed that to happen. That's powerful. And we want to do more of it. And then a, de a desire to know him. Feeling pain when he is dishonored. Loving the things that God loves. Hating what God hates, longing for his coming, and loving God is obeying him. I'd like to go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, you're in chapter 2, I believe. And let's look now, as we love God, there's something, there's something that happens. The more that we love God, and those are ways that would allow us to see how we love God. Now, keeping in mind, we're out of Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Don't go there. Just stay, stay with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, it says that God is able to work all things, good things, bad things, indifferent things, things that see I'm related to things, anything that has to do with things. All of those things, how do you do it? God synchronizes all of that stuff, good, bad, and indifferent, mixes it all up, and is able to make them for our good. That is what? If we love him, that's the condition. Do we love him? We've talked about those. Do you really love him? Now, it's not a matter of God can keep his promise of invincibility to those that, that love him. In other words, all things work together for good. If you're a Christian here today, I can guarantee you, not because of what I said, but because of what God's word said, nothing can take you away from God's plan if you love him. So the key is not being able to trust God doing good for us. The key is making sure that we are ones that love him. <laughs> that's the key. I want to make sure I'm in that camp because that's when the promise is made good. That's what's important. But now watch. If we love him, something happens. Something happens that changes everything. And it's in a world we find ourselves today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Does that not fit perfectly in a world today? <laughs> that is perfect, perfect. 
Because fear literally has, is stealing things around our, not only our country and the entire world. Fear disregards God's plan. It distorts His purposes. It discourages God's people. Remember back in Deuteronomy chapter... Write this down in your notes. I'll probably not go there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 40, I believe would be the passage. And what's happened is 12 spies have went out of the land of Israel. They're spying it out, and God had said, I'm going to give that to you. So what's the point? What do they have to do? There's only one thing they have to do. I'm not even sure why they went and looked, other than they want to look. And God's, okay, go look. But the bottom line is, is it's yours, because I said, I'm going to give this to you as your possession. You got a choice. What are you going to do? Trust or fear? Yeah, you're going to, right? You're going to get it. Do one or the other. Guess what? Twelve guys go, they all come back. Take a vote. They're going to take a vote because that's what we do. That's how we know if something's right is we take a vote. In this country, we take polls to see if, in fact, in fact, I still remember this one of the first times I remember it. Maybe it happened before that. But as uh, President um, Clinton was in office, he actually took a poll to see what to do. That is not leadership. That's sad because I'm going to tell you what right now. This was an overwhelming vote not to do what God asked them to do. The vote was 10 to 2. And the two were the right ones. The mob ruled, but the mob lost. And you know what happened? They were filled with fear. And discouragement was the result of those. In fact, you know what? We've got to go to Deuteronomy. I just can't stand this. I've got to go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's, go for, let's just go there and sing that song a little louder. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 19. Um, we'll probably actually move on a little bit further than that. Verse 25. We're just going to start there. Verse 25. What he's done is she's taken 12 men, one from each tribe. They went. Now they've come. Verse 25. They took up the fruit of the land in their hands, brought it down unto us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Now, wait. Did you see that? They're still saying the right things. God is going to give it to us. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. What does that say about, now if you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, what is that saying? What, what, what have we learned today? What have we learned? If we're rebelling against, excuse me? We don't love him. That's what we've proven now, right here. They, they've just proven whatever they've said. Well, God is going to give this to us, but we rebelled against his command. We didn't follow through in what he said. We don't love him. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth from the land of, do you see what fear does? It's totally turned the entire situation so that you can't even see what is truth. Is that true? Why do you think God brought them out of Egypt? To kill them on the desert? No, he brought them to go into the land of Israel. It was a plan. It was planned all the way through. In fact, now this is really important. Do you know why God saved us through Jesus Christ? Oh, so I could go to heaven? No, that's not it. The reason he saved us was literally, we find it in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that he wants us, his purpose is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That truly is what God wants of us. Just as the Israelites, his program, his purpose was to take them from Egypt and take them into the land of Israel. And when they chose not to do that, we were filled with, filled with fear and literally lost all faith. And they were dominated by the things that God would not have allowed, did not, did not want them to be devoured by. Verse 28. 
whether shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. I'm walled up to heaven? Do you see how big the lies become when we're full of fear? And I said unto you, verse 29, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. Exactly. Exactly. And pretty soon, if you go through the rest of the passage, you'll find that they literally disobeyed God's principles. That's what fear does. In fact, just thought of another one. 2 Timothy, let's go there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. This is wonderful. As, as Paul is really on the last days of his life, and he's mentoring this young man, Timothy, encouraging him. This verse is one you need to put in your repertoire. This is one you'll be able to, to grab out and say. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is what we need today in America if you're a Christian. That is something that is yours because of what Jesus accomplished. We can go forward with a great deal of gusto and vim and vigor. We are invincible. You know why? We're invincible because God is with us, for us, and ultimately in us. Now, if that isn't the best news that I could give you today, in a land that's gone crazy, you should be able to just race out of here and tell others about Jesus, shouldn't you? Now, again, there's only one way that Romans 8.28 is actually reality. That is, that, for we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. We need to do that box. Do we love him? Now, again, for us, if you're a Christian here today, if you've trusted Christ, then that should be it. You know, the Holy Spirit is working within you. He's not done with you. He's still working. Isn't that good? So what you, how much you love him today? A year from now, two years from now. I remember when Lisa and I were first married. After the first year, I said, I couldn't possibly love her anymore. My love is, that's unbelievable. And I'm looking back now. It's uh, July 30th. It was our anniversary. That was pretty good, wasn't it? And in uh, this year, it'll be 37 years. And see, I'm just starting to learn about love. It's the same with Jesus. The more we see him, the more we worship him, the more we contemplate on him. You know what we see? We can't even imagine how little bit we even know about loving him. I can't wait to look in his face and to see the love that he literally gave to me. That's the love we're talking about. Continue on the pathway as we continue to yearn for our Jesus that literally because of what he accomplished and the Holy Spirit living within us, we are invincible. Did I say it loud enough? Invincible. All of those that love him. Next week, I'd like to come back to, uh, you're saying, how can you take three weeks in the same verse? I don't know. <laughs> I want it to stick, though, because we're actually looking from another side of it. From our perspective, it's those that we love him. From God's perspective, it's, it was my purpose in all of this to accomplish this. That's what the last part of the verse is about. We'll go on from there. Any questions or comments? quiet group. If not, let's go to prayer. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. When we accept Christ, Father, that takes place immediately. For 
God the Holy Spirit to reside within us. We're no longer our own. We are a purchased possession. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Father, if there's someone that is hearing my voice today that could not say, I don't love God. Well, the really good news is to that person or persons that God has done all of it for you. He loved you before you even knew that He loved you. He loves you enough right now to have the Holy Spirit calling on your heart, calling the innermost part of who you are, wooing you, asking you to contemplate the sin that you can't do anything about, reminding you of the fact that Jesus Christ, God the Son, made in the image of man, but fully God, took your penalty, took the price that you owed and wore it himself, even to the cruel cross of which he succumbed. As he said on that day, as the sky darkened from noon to three, the whole world had been lost, if you were a disciple, to see their Savior. The one that they didn't even maybe see him at that at that point was hung on a cruel tree. But in those hours where God the Father turned his back on his son, your sin was taken on his back. He paid the price. And then to prove the fact that it was good enough, that it was satisfactory, three days later, he rose from the dead and appeared to as many as 500 at one time. There's no tomb that is wearing his bones. He's living on high. He's at the right hand of the Father, waiting to be your advocate. But you must come to him. You must accept the gift that he gave to you by faith. And when you trust Jesus with who you are, giving him everything, repenting of your sin, asking him to come into your life, then he takes control. He sheds his love abroad in your heart, as it says in Romans 5, 5. You become a brand new creature, a brand new person from the inside out. And that love that we're talking about today, he makes possible. You will begin to want to know more about him. You will want to be worshiping him. You will want to be with him. Slowly at first, but nonetheless, want to be everything that he wants you to be. That's what we're talking about. And you, in that condition, in that place of complete surrender to the king of the universe, the one that every knee will bow to, it says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ, then you are saved. You are invincible. He is for you. Who could be against you? Father, and if that person has made that decision today, then there's rejoicing in heaven because that's been God's plan all along to save us. To be conformed to the image of his son, the firstborn among many brethren. Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished in Jesus. And we pray for anyone listening today that more would come to know Jesus in a time that is unrivaled in the loss of security, 
fear, trepidation, all of the things that have taken away from what has been known as normal. And my God is sufficient. He is worthy to be praised, and there is truly victory in Jesus. And it's in His name we pray.